Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Okay. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carlone. Today, we have Ron Rohde. Ron is a Mandarin Chinese-speaking attorney who represents foreign investors in the US. His practice focuses on commercial real estate acquisitions, such as multifamily, office, and warehouse transactions. He currently practices in Texas, but is licensed in Florida as well. His experience guides investors through US law and tax treatment. So thanks, Ron, for uh, coming on the program today. And um, when you're working with any type of investors, uh, specifically in foreign investors, why do you find the U.S. market is a target for for foreign investors? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, you know, Charles, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure to, to kind of chat. <clears throat> so you know, the U.S. market represents a very unique opportunity uh, relative to the rest of the world. Uh, I think the U.S. is the only uh, uh, stable and you know legally protected market that provides investors with the strongest base of liquidity uh, for exit, as well as the breadth of opportunities to invest in a variety of products, no matter what your investment capital is and what your expectations for cash flow, as well as future appreciation. You know, the U.S. is just a massive. Um, Opportunity and Texas and Florida in particular are experiencing some tremendous economic growth as well. Yeah, what are what do you usually find for the types of uh, the types of goals for foreign investors? So, like for domestic investors that come to us, whether they're investing with us in a syndication or if I just know of them and they're investing directly, and usually it's they have a set number that they're trying to reach in a return. Um, you have some that are doing it on speculation, on the appreciation, and then you have a lot of them in real estate that are doing it on cash flow. What what do you normally see when you speak to an investor of what they're looking for when they come to you? Yeah, the you know that that's a good tie-in to a lot of how I operate my business is asking the investor a lot of questions. Um, more so than a domestic investor, the goals of a foreign investor are really unique, and they must be clearly communicated to all their partners in the U.S. to make sure that all the decisions uh, are made with that goal in mind. So that said, a lot of foreign investors um, will look at preservation of capital. So almost by default, whatever nationality or whatever foreign currency that they're currently holding, uh, it's probably going to be more volatile. Uh, It may have more capital currency uh, outflow restrictions. And interest rates in their home country are probably lower than, you know, T-bills or or other comparable assets in the U.S. So getting that money that they've earned in a foreign country out of that country into a dollar denominated asset Mm -hmm. or even more so an inflation protected asset such as real estate uh, where you can increase the rents as if inflation occurs, that really is their number one goal. And so they're going to care about the quality of the asset. They're going to care about the long term prospects of a location, um, you know, I don't want to say it's more subjective, but they're going to want a higher quality neighborhood or city that is not uh, prone to even a a 20 year or 10 year swing because they would rather forego some cash flow. They would forego some appreciation potential just to ensure that they don't have a, a slip 
for a catastrophic loss of value um, because preservation of capital is very important. Yeah, I would imagine. That's why I've heard from all different types of international investors. It's The upside's great, but just preserving the assets is, uh, is definitely number one. Um, you represent investors uh, mainly across Asia, I would imagine, that are international. Is that correct? And many of these countries face currency controls. And how is that? How do you, how do you face that problem? How do you solve that? And um, how does that work? Yeah, uh, currency controls are definitely a, a big factor um, at the varying levels of investment. So, you know, I will say that I come across it a lot for, say, individuals or groups of individuals. Um, you see it less so as a problem if you're a uh, investment-based company. Um, then in those cases, you'll usually have a money export license. Uh, so if you're a small private equity fund and your, your mission is to raise money and then invest in real estate abroad, you usually have a currency export license and you're able to transfer or wire large sums of money. Uh, that said, for my clients, you know, uh, China, uh, Vietnam, uh, less so for, say, Hong Kong, Taiwan, or Korea. Uh, for those people, they have to work within the legal limits. And so, for example, for China, it might be the $50,000 uh, limit per person per year. Mm -hmm. and so as they're transferring money, they either accumulate funds abroad over time, or they can also recruit what's called uh, friends and family. And so we'll transfer money to uh, a neighbor who will then remit that money overseas and use up their annual quota, and then we'll recollect those funds into a single account uh, once it's abroad. So th those are some of the strategy and techniques. Um, you know, I, I usually work with my clients to ask them whether they already have funds in the U.S., mm. whether they need me to, you know, advise on, on how they're going to transfer. But um, people overseas, you know, usually can get pretty creative. <laughs> what what do you usually see just uh, opening up one of those questions and one of your answers is what do you usually see for people that already have assets in the United States in one form or another and ones that just come and say listen I, I don't have any EIN I don't have any corporation I need everything yeah absolutely you know I, I deal with new investors all the time um, it's it's really a different process because what I you know, particularly like is if somebody is already invested in the U.S., they've already gotten that capital over, they're usually be looking at a 1031 or some type of rollover um, or even a cash out refi if they, if they were cash um, first. So they're typically a lot more experienced. And what that helps for me is they know what their goals are. They can articulate very clearly what they're looking for what type of leases they want, you know, if they want single tenant, you know, maybe they had an office building with multiple tenants and they just said it was a nightmare. It was, it was too much decision-making that they didn't feel comfortable delegating to a broker or a property manager. So they had to make the, the tenant decisions. And so now they want to transition into a single tenant property, a triple net, mm. you know, that's, that's great. You know, it's, it's very useful for me to understand where they're coming from Whereas a new investor, they might come to me with a blank slate and I say, okay, what kind of properties are you looking for? What size, what location? And they just say, I don't know, and, you know, anything, um, Texas, Florida, South <laughs> Florida. And, you know, that's, that's good in one sense that they're very flexible. They, they don't have their heart set on something which is unobtainable. You know, they might come in with me and say for a million dollars, I want to buy a class A office building in Dallas. And I say, you're not going to get that. You, you just 
physically cannot find a deal for that amount with those other parameters uh, because they're all trading, you know, at, at very low cap rates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as they're flexible and we understand their goals, we can put them in touch with the right brokers or, you know, tell them to look in the right areas because even within Texas, um, Dallas, Houston, Austin, and then you also have, you know, San Antonio. A lot of people like San Antonio now It uh, has been priced relatively cheap as a secondary market uh, or even tertiary. Um, so, so outside of those major metros, things like that, that's where I can help the new investor by asking them some questions and pointing them to the right direction as far as what they believe, what their goals are and what they believe the longer term economic outlook is, you know, even for, for Florida as well. Interesting. What do you, what are some tips do you usually see or would you suggest for success and mistakes you commonly see for new investors? Yeah, I think uh, that the best advice I would give people is to really treat this real estate investment as long term um, and try to avoid making frequent corrections or, you know, kind of honing in on on little changes or little expenses. Um, think of it as an investment and your horizon really has to be, call it the, the three to five years minimum. Um, because when you take that viewpoint, smaller inconsistencies or changes matter less in the big picture. You know, uh, just like having a 401k account or, or a broader stock market index, you can't check it every day. You can't check it every month. But you know that in the longer run, you're going to come out and you're going to get market returns, you know, that average the market. But uh, same for real estate investment. I mean, you definitely want to be involved, but you need to know where you can provide the most value um, from your, you know, kind of overseas role, which is sometimes limited uh, in terms of communication. So. so when when you see investors for the first time, they make the decision to invest and they're building their team. Do you, how do you, how do they start building their team? Do they start off with an account uh, attorney like yourself and then kind of work from there or should they, you know, you have most people when they want to buy property and it's a common thing in the U S they'll speak to the broker first. They sure. might, they're probably not even ready. They don't have their money. They don't have their incorporations, anything all set. How, what would you suggest for the first step? Yeah, I definitely recommend uh, reaching out to an accountant or a lawyer first. Uh, we're going to be the ones that can help uh, form the entity. So if you're going to form an LLC, for example, you're going to want your LLC formed. You're going to want to understand where your bank accounts are going to be open. Maybe start transferring some of those uh, funds over. See if you encounter any difficulties uh, with those wires. And then after you know one or, or a couple months, once everything is set up, then you can go to your broker. And I think that you'll present a much more credible profile as a buyer. You'll be a much more serious incredible buyer if you tell him this is the llc i'm going to buy it with this is how much capital i have now but this is how much i'm anticipating and you'll also have a little bit of a feel for narrowing down the markets because even in a a small city like you know austin there are thousands of properties to look at and ideally you want to be able to tell your broker broad goals uh, maybe some industries or asset types that you're interested in but then let him give you back feedback of, you know, what's on available inventory that fits all of your criteria. So I definitely recommend talking to the accountant um, 
you know, maybe talking to other investors uh, who have invested in the U.S. because they're going to be a great resource for the problems that they encountered, such as, you know, management and the time zone difference and, and what types of experiences they, they encountered. Yeah, that's very interesting because we have uh, we have investors, and I'm not sure if they come to you as well that are just looking for investing passively as a limited partner. And do you have a lot of investors that come, uh, international investors that come to the U.S. to invest, and they've maybe done the research in direct investing, and it might not be for them, and they decide I want to invest in Texas, but I want to invest through a syndication, for example. Um, how do you get someone prepped for that? If they came in, they say, I have a X amount of money, I'm going to invest uh, as passively. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely review the securities documents. I'll review some of the offering memorandum. And again, just to give them a legal interpretation of what the documents say and how it would be interpreted in a U.S. court. And then I just see if that matches up with what their understanding of the project was. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we definitely do some of those reviews, but, um, it's obviously since it's less work, um, there's less of a need to have a direct lawyer, but we can definitely provide that peace of mind that the representations made by the sponsor or the general partner reflect, uh, what the documents actually say, because I'll, you know, I'll tell you probably in every deal, there is something that I explained to them that is not what they understood, you know, whether that was a miscommunication or just a lack of information or an assumption. Uh, it can be useful and valuable to the investor to say, okay, well, in that scenario, I didn't realize that that's what would happen. Uh, so definitely, you know, we can review that. It's it's very cost effective. And I think uh, even if we don't see anything that conflicts, the investor has that peace of mind that uh, the, the person they're investing with is very straightforward. Yeah, that's we actually suggest any of our LPs that invest to speak to an attorney because you know when you're checking off in the subscription booklet if they've done it once, rarely, less than a few times, whatever it is, and it just kind of has to. You have to know exactly what you're. I mean, there's so many pages there that it really should be reviewed by an attorney on yeah. your side, not on the syndication side, right? Yeah. So, so definitely for elections, uh, and if the investor has any questions about whether they they're eligible to check the box or, you know, compliant with reg S, you know, we have a lot of investors that are kind of, um, you know, maybe they're here on a B1, B2, but they reside abroad and how much time do they spend in the U S these are, these are important questions that they should confirm and mm -hmm. kind of not just assume that they know the U S law and how it's interpreted. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. As I understand it, if they have the LLC or such set up in the United States, they then in turn are coming in as a U.S. investor. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it would depend on the circumstances and kind of depends on um, how the raise is structured. So if they're doing something like a reg S, uh, then you wouldn't have the U.S. entity um, and you would want them to invest purely foreign. Right. But uh, that's, yeah, it's kind of a little yeah. more detailed that we'll go into. Okay. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So we, you complete uh, hundreds of transactions and all different types of asset classes for real estate. For what do you consider now where we are in this cycle, which has been going on for a decade? Uh, where do you, where do you find your clients favoring at this point? What do you, what do you see them investing into? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. There's a certain segment of our clients that still believe that you can continue to invest um, because they have a long-term vision. So if you're going to hold a property for another 10 years, 
you're going to be able to withstand any type of future recession. So um, given that uh, approach, you can still continue to invest and still buy properties because you're going to hold the property through another recession, even if it's imminent. You know, even if the stock market tanks the day after you close, you're not worried because you've underwritten it. You, you feel confident on cash flow. Uh, you're going to cover your debt. You're going to be able to manage and keep the property even through a 50% reduction in occupancy. So for those investors, yes, they're concerned about it and they might tighten their underwriting, but they're still putting money out there because you can't leave the money on the table if we don't have a recession. And that's really the, the alternative is if you stand on the sidelines forever, you're going to miss out on a lot of gains if the recession doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, evidence that points to while we might have, quote unquote, a, a nationwide recession, there's certainly um, states and, and pockets that are still going to be successful. And, you know, Texas and Florida and the Southeast in general, we're talking about increases in population. And even if there's a recession, that might just trigger more of a flight of population from high tax jurisdictions in the Northeast and California to move into low tax jurisdictions. So, you know, everything is local and everything comes down to your individual property. But if you're looking at a shopping center in Georgia and the the anchor tenant is strong and some of the peripheral tenants are strong, national guarantors, um, you know, I would buy that in any market. Uh, I think Georgia is going to continue to see growth regardless of what happens nationwide. It, it, it would take something pretty catastrophic for Georgia to not be able to, again, just cover debt service or, you know, to provide cash flow with several national anchors. So, you know, that's what we're seeing. Um, I also have some clients that are talking about new investment strategies where they don't anticipate or they don't model in income appreciation. Uh, they're buying properties and saying, no, I'm, I'm not factoring a 2 or 3% rental increase. I'm only planning to increase efficiencies on expenses. And so they're looking for poorly managed properties from people who bought in 2013, 2015. They didn't really know what they're doing, but they're making money and they're going to get profit. So you can cut their expenses and therefore increase NOI without increasing your uh, revenue. So that's another strategy that is coming, you know, a little bit more in vogue. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more realistic on the lower end for returns, but it puts you in a lot more conservative uh, pressure when you're thinking about uh, how do I reach my returns. So that's a great way for conservative underwriting because normally it's usually we'll go over a deal and we'll say two and a half percent on expenses, two and a half percent on income, which is yeah. inflation, but having no, I mean, no, imp- no appreciation on the income side. And I know where we are in Tampa and I bet it's very similar to areas you are dealing with in Texas. Um, seven, eight percent rent increases last year. So sure. if that, I mean, that's going to be a home run, you know, that'll be a triple going to a grand slam really for their investors uh, when they find out if that continues, because it will be, it'll be something people aren't going to stop moving to these inexpensive areas and where the jobs are going. It it just, just, you know, it just goes hands in hand. So that's great. Um, So as for your, for your law firm, uh, Pamela, what do you guys, what do you guys provide? Uh, What are the services you provide to your, to your clients? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we have the support staff, we have the partner attorneys. Um, It's really the full suite of, of transactional work. 
So uh, we handle basically from a, an investor that's new, um, doesn't have any capital in the U.S., doesn't have any experience. You know, maybe they don't even know anybody uh, in the market, but they've done some research and, you know, they want to work with me because I have clients that will come from abroad and invest all over the U.S. So, you know, California properties, Ohio, um, Illinois, obviously Texas is very popular. But what we basically do is we're able to walk them through the process. And once they have the best relationship, I'd say it's a fairly strong relationship with a lawyer. Um, we're able to stand as a proxy for a lot of them because a lot of those issues that I mentioned about managing a direct investment uh, versus a syndicated investment, making decisions, you know, repairs or tenant approvals or tenant variances or, you know, permits or co signing contracts. If you're unable to reliably be available, whether, you know, you have another job overseas, maybe you're traveling more, um, the lawyer can really play a larger role, um, you know, with the power of attorney. Mm. So for me to be able to sign or make decisions um, up to a certain level or to be able to speed up certain decision-making processes really helps them throughout the rest of their investment period. And I think that that's what having a reputable law firm can provide with you. Um, you know, cause I give a lot of advice too, is, you know, when you're looking at your property manager agreements, you may want to tweak different clauses um, that are suited for you because for a regular, you know, multifamily apartment and they say, okay, repairs above 5,000, you know, you need my approval. Well, maybe we want to increase that because your timing is not going to be a 24 hour response. It might be 48 hours and we might want to increase that to 15,000, you know, things like that. They just want to take into consideration, um, especially for emergencies, anything with the uh, habitability of the unit, water leaks, uh, roof damage. You know, we have we had a series of very bad storms here. Um, so there needs to be some quick, authoritative, decisive decision-making, and whether that's your property manager doing that or whether it's your attorney um, as a kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty neutral third party. I don't have interest in which roofing contractor comes out on site to, to do some emergency repairs, mm -hmm. but we can all agree that it's something that should be done or must be done immediately. Um, and putting some of those provisions in place can, can protect the investment investment and the investor. What, uh, what makes a difference? I know you've outlined a number of different um, facts there of what you guys do, but have you had investors work with a traditional, like maybe a law firm that's not as seasoned with international investors, and then they transfer their business to you guys in the sense of, you know, obviously the language you provide as you're speaking, I mean, that helps tremendously, but what other, I mean, what other You've had this happen before where people will go to one law firm and then come to yours? Yeah, um, I think definitely the, the language helps, but it's also the culture and the experience working with that type of investor. Uh, you know, a lot of the traditional law firms are used to uh, investors who can, you know, maybe respond promptly or they can understand um, different IRS forms and they can send documents in English and just you know, expect them to be read, understood, signed, and then returned. Whereas with, with foreign investors, it's, it's reasonable and it's understandable for them to have questions almost on every document. You know, um, I will say people also will bring me a lot more 
notices. Um, they'll get a notice from the city. Um, and they ask me, is this reasonable? Do I need to pay this? And, you know, I'm, again, it's, it's that experience and, and patience maybe to work with them because I'm almost filtering levels of, you know, spam level emails <laughs> or mail and whether they have a property manager or they, you know, they don't receive it um, or they question the property manager, property manager saying, Hey, we have a new um, health inspection or certificate of occupancy that we have to do. This is something that we have to pay. Okay, great. Or the property manager, you know, they don't necessarily impose advice. They typically just give options. Um, and so if the investor doesn't have experience in that, they need a lawyer that is comfortable giving them quote unquote, you know, business advice. They're going to say, Hey Ron, my property manager says our, our parking lot's in terrible shape. He gave me two options or three options to resurface or tear it up or, you know, tear it up because we can install this. What, what do you recommend? I don't have resources. I can't just pick up the phone and call another general contractor to come over and give me an estimate. I can't call another engineer, um, you know, certainly at least not easily. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I can act as a go-between for a lot of different problems and that's what I think traditional law firms, they're not set up to do. Um, if somebody asks them what type of uh, shingle they should put on, you know, the 30, the 20 or, or 10 year warranty, they, they're not going to answer that. They say that's a business decision. You do that. But in my experience, that's really useful advice that they're going to look to me for because they might question the property manager and says, well, you're, you're probably recommending the most expensive option and it's going to be business to your, your friend's roofing company. I don't, you know, maybe that's what I choose, but I, I have concerns about it and they don't have the same uh, duty uh, to their client to look out for their best interests like lawyers do. And so that's probably the number one example that I deal with. And I try to give my best advice with the caveat of, you know, I'm not a property manager. I'm not an engineer, but I've seen these types of issues a lot, um, and this is what my clients choose and why. So you make your own decision. Yeah, that's so true to have that team because it's not like for if you were local and you could just go to your local RIA and say, hey, give me referrals of three roofers yeah. you have. I have, a, I have a leak last night. I mean, yep. that's just not going to happen. You need somebody, you need to deal with your property manager and you need someone to check that property manager to make sure that everything's in your best, always in your best interest because everybody's really working for that investor. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's the team is so important. But um, how can someone get a hold of you, Ron, and uh, your law firm and learn more about what you guys do, services you provide? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way is email, mm -hmm. uh, R-R-O-H-D-E at PAMLaw.com, uh, or our website is www.pamlaw.com. Uh, you know, I, I use all the different messaging apps too. So I'm on uh, WeChat or WhatsApp or uh, any kind of messenger, you know, I probably have it downloaded on my phone. <laughs> all right. Well, perfect. So uh, listeners, what I'll do is I'll put all that information into the notes section so you can easily find the email address and um, links to everything we've spoken about. And uh, Ron, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, I look forward to uh, speaking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Charles. 
thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.